I'm going to invite you now to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. This is a word that the Lord has laid on my heart for our church this morning. 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'm going to begin with verse 1. Before I do that, let me just say uh, we're grateful to have Ben. His uh, wife, Lindsay, is actually with us today. He uh, helped us, obviously, with worship, but he was also instrumental in, in helping us with some of the live stream issues this morning, so we're grateful for his leadership. Let me begin here. Would you listen to the word of our God? Verse 1 begins, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl of Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him and said to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he went away in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. As the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me carry, let me your servant be given as much earth and a pair of mules can carry, for your servant never again will make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but to the Lord. May God add his blessing to his word 
today. In 2010, you may recall, 33 miners were trapped underground, thousands of feet underground, in Chile. There was a movie about it called The 33. There was a book written called The Deep Down Dark. The miners were trapped by a stone twice the size of the Empire State Building with no possible way to get to the surface. Experts expected that their, their uh, rescue seemed about 10 or 2%. Rescue, in fact, seemed impossible. And so it was in the deep down dark, they began to do what people do when it's darkest. They reflected. They, they thought about their relationships. They thought about their successes. They thought about their regrets. They thought about what would happen to them when they died. It, it's interesting to me, but when it's darkest, don't be surprised that you reflect. Jose was uh, an entrapped miner too. Jose Enriquez has been a miner since the 1970s. The men around him knew to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so they asked him in their desperation, would you pray for us? He told them that he would in fact pray for them and with them if they would only humble themselves and get on their knees. Well, they did. They, they got on their knees and he began to lead them in a humble prayer. After the prayer was over, the men said, well, what do we do now? And Enrique said, well, I believe that it would be good for you to confess your sins. And so one after another, one miner recounted an addiction to alcohol. Another talked about failures as a father. Someone shared they had a horrible temper. And on and on it went. And what happened there in that deep down dark could only be described as a revival. The Holy Spirit moved. And every day, these men in the dark would listen to the preacher preach and share the gospel. They would go before the Lord. It was the only light they had. Now, what I think is this. There is something about those desperate moments there's something about being isolated in the dark where it is often true that God gets our attention. Now, of course, we can deny him, we can ignore him, but the reality is it is in that moment that, that he gets our attention. He, he, he shouts out to us, and I believe that we are in a moment like that in our country and, in fact, in our world. When we have an opportunity to, to know him, to consider our lives and our relationship with God. And my hope and prayer has been during this entire season that you have been drawn closer to God and know more intimately this truth, that he is with you. Well, this morning I want to look at this story of a desperate man. In 2 Kings 5, we are introduced to a man named Naaman. We learn that he is the commander of the army of the nation of Aram. He is a friend and confidant of the king of Aram. And of course, we are told in verse 1 that he was a great man and highly regarded by the king. Now, Aram, in your mind's eye, you would be about in the place where Syria is today. We know that Naaman is a, a general. So we can surmise that he's a strong leader, he's capable, he's smart, he's driven. 
He's brought victory to his nation on the battlefield. He's a hero to his country. So there is fame, there is power, there's wealth that comes along with this position. And if anyone could feel invincible at that time, it would have to be someone like Naaman. He would be at the top of the list. But then one day, I imagine that he's getting dressed. He's putting on his armor, and he notices just a slight discoloration of skin on his arm. I I don't think he probably thought much of it then. He just kind of covers it up. He gets dressed, and he moves on with his day. But a few days later, he starts to notice some numbness in his fingers and a few more discolored patches of skin. The word leprosy crosses his mind. Now, he's not trying to go there. He's not going to tell anyone else about this. He just, again, covers it up and keeps it quiet because leprosy was a death sentence. In fact, it was more than that. It was social rejection and isolation. It meant that he'd lose his job, he'd lose his family, and yes, eventually he would lose his life. So here we have a man of power who is powerless against this disease. He knows how to fight the enemy on a battlefield, but he has no idea how to fight this enemy that is within him. Now, I I, want to just stop right there. The truth is, when we are headed toward desperation, there's a moment where we need to realize that we are, in fact, helpless. Have you ever been there? There's nothing you can do, nothing we can do. And it can take us a while to get there, but we reach a point in our lives when something is happening that we do not have control over. I think this virus that is going around our society is pretty big evidence of that. And we hate it. Now, a big part of that is pride. We're we're ashamed of our condition. We hide and don't want other people to know how vulnerable we really are. We're helpless. But the truth is, the longer we refuse to be honest about our desperation, the longer we put off any hope of deliverance. Now, interestingly enough, the Bible tells us about a little girl, a young lady, who's living in Naaman's home as a slave. Now, we don't know her name, What we do know is she is one of the people of God of Israel. In my mind, I I know that she imagined getting married and having children and raising her loved ones in the, the, the faith. But then one day, suddenly, an invader comes. They rip her from her family. She is forced into slavery, and now she is serving the very man who has brought destruction and devastation to her homeland. That is her story. Now one day she notices the discoloration on her master's skin. She knows what it means. Now I I want you to step back and think, well, what would you do? You you know there's got to be a part of her that said, well, you get what you deserve. Good. He had it coming. He had killed her king, he had conquered her nation, he had destroyed her home, he had forced her into slavery. But here's the thing, she loved the Lord. And and my friends this morning, remember this, if you love the Lord, you also love your neighbor, no matter who your neighbor is. 
Loving God means loving your neighbor wherever you are. We haven't been worshiping together these last few weeks because we love God, which means we love our neighbor. And so we've chosen to be socially distanced from one another for a season. And things are going to be different for quite some time because we love God and because we love our neighbor. The truth is, listen, you can be in a hard place and still love God and love your neighbor too. So this lady, this young lady, goes to Naaman's wife and she says he needs to see the prophet who is in Samaria. She's, of course, talking about Elisha. She knows the power of God and she thinks that it might be God's will to cure him. And of course, as I think about this story, I think about the people around us and the opportunities God has given us in this day to share his grace, his love, and his power. Notice that she was not afraid to do so. She could have thought, hey, he won't listen to me. Who am I? But there's a powerful lesson right here where we see people around us who are desperate. I believe God's will is for us to be bold and courageous in taking the opportunity to speak to them and into their circumstances in a way that reminds them of who God is and what he can do. Now, of course, Naaman needs to make a decision. Is he desperate enough to follow the advice of this young slave? Now, in my mind, that leads to another level of desperation. First, I think we have to realize we're helpless. But second, we have to be desperate enough to be willing to listen to the godly counsel of other people. Where we come to a point, this I know, I don't have the answers. I've tried everything and it's not working. There is, of course, this tug of war between our pride and our desperation. And when our pride begins to lessen and we begin to seek godly counsel from someone else, I think we're headed to a good place. Can I just say this morning, be open to being that godly counsel, that encourager, that healer to someone. In fact, one of my prayers throughout this, in fact, one of my prayers whenever I preach is simply this. Lord, let this help somebody. Let this help someone. Maybe it's just one. There are a lot of people around us today who are in the deep down dark. Listen, you be open to sharing with them. Naaman is desperate enough that he's willing to listen to the slave girl. But notice what he does. You know, he's a type A guy. He's driven. He's got it figured out. And so he says, I'm going to go see this prophet that she's telling me about, but I'm first going to gather some resources. I'm going to pull some strings. So he goes to the king, the king of Aram, and he says, hey, could you write me up a letter that says anybody who reads this letter has to cure me of leprosy? And the king is like, well, sure, I'll write you such a letter. So the king writes him the letter, and it says, if you know what's good for you, you'll cure this guy of leprosy. Naaman then gathers pounds of gold and pounds of silver, and he heads south with his chariots and horses and wagons and army. It's a motorcade of pomp and circumstance of flags and guards. 
The only word that describes it in my mind is the word intimidating. He is still powerful. He is wealthy. He is strong. And he's desperate. And he shows up at Israel's door. Now, we notice here that the king of Israel is sweating. He, of course, thinks this is a trap. His predecessor was killed by this guy. And he can't cure leprosy. But Elisha hears what is going on in, in Israel and at the king's palace. And he says, yeah, sh- sure, send him over to my house. And so Naaman goes with his entourage to Elisha's house to ask Elisha for help. And by the way, I think that's another level of desperation. Is there a willingness to ask help from others? Where you know you can't do anything, you're beginning to listen to godly counsel, but you're desperate enough to say, will you help me? And my question to you this morning is this, when is the last time those words came out of your mouth? Will you help me? Now I know that some of you have learned in a hard way that that's not always a safe question to ask. Because you could tell me a story of a time when you asked for help and nobody was there for you. Listen, this morning I want you to know that this church is there for you. Our pastoral staff, if you need a friend to talk to, if you need some comfort, if you just need to to, to console or be consoled, if you're experiencing some need, a, a practical need, whatever it is, I want you to call us. If you're experiencing stress financially, emotionally, spiritually, please reach out. Call me. Listen, we have a Care to Share fund, and so many of you have been so generous towards that fund. Listen, I am not going to sit on those funds. We are doing everything we can to see those funds released, but we, always, we don't always know the need that is there. If you have a need, let us know. I know that's a bold statement, but we want to assist you. And we would have people who would come and visit or call you up. They would be honored to help you. And I realized this. Maybe one of the most courageous things you can ever do is to ask for help. Would you help me? May God move in your life in such a way that you are willing to ask that very question when you need it. Now, of course, here's a picture. He's got his motorcade, his treasury of gold and silver. And to me, this is so interesting. Elisha looks out the window and he sees this parade. It's impressive. It's intimidating. He realizes that Naaman is not coming in a humble way. So Elisha decides to talk to his servant. And he says, listen, I'm watching the live stream right now. Would you go out and give Naaman this message? Tell him, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of leprosy. Well, the servant goes out, he gives the message, and guess what happens? Naaman, of course, is insulted on a number of levels. He comes all this way, and Elisha doesn't even see him. And then he gives him this ridiculous assignment. 
Verse 11 talks about Naaman getting angry and walking away in a rage. I, I thought he would certainly come out and meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of his God and heal me. Naaman, he had this idea of how God should heal him. Naaman is expecting there to be a camera crew, some lights. Elisha is going to show up in a $2,000 silver suit with his hair combed back and brushing away his, the sweat from his forehead. I imagine him holding a, a handheld microphone saying the name of the Lord with about 10 syllables, and then he would be healed. That's the picture that Naaman had. It would be a show. And, and, and what's more then, he could whip out all that gold and that silver and everybody would be like, whoa, who is that guy? In fact, in his mind, he could still come out looking like the hero of it all. Don't be surprised when God wants to heal you in a way that you didn't expect. You know, if, if God were small enough, someone said, to, to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. Go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman is ready to go home and go to war. He's angry. But Naaman had a servant that says, listen, if the prophet had told you to do something hard, you would have done it. Now he's told you something simple. Don't, don't worry about it. Why not try? I mean, if he would ask for a million dollars, you would have been glad to give him two. If he would have said, go and complete this act of bravery and courage, you would have been on your way. If he had said, go conquer this nation, that nation would have been finished. He hasn't asked you to do those things. He asked you to take a dip in the Jordan River. Why not just do it? You know, that's another level of desperation. We realize we're helpless. We realize that we don't have the answers. We start listening to godly counsel. We ask for help, but then, folks, we come to a point where are we willing to obey God? Simply obey him. You, you know, it occurs to me that our religion would be almost easier if we made it harder. If I told you that you had to give this amount of money and you had to go to church this many times and you had to spend this amount of time on the mission field and you had to read so many chapters every day in scripture and you had to pray so many hours every day, then you could work so hard and know that God will let you into his heaven. It would almost be easier. Know what to do and work at it. But you know, God is not like that. You don't have enough money to make it to heaven. You don't have enough time to be good and charitable to make up the gap for sin. The Bible says we are not saved by our works. No, we are saved by faith. Putting our faith in him, our trust in him. So you picture the scene here. It's incredible. 
We find ourselves along the muddy Jordan River, and Naaman begins to take off his armor. He puts it on the side. He is finely dressed, but he takes off those clothes too. He folds them up and he puts them on the side. He is standing there all but naked. His entourage sees him. They hadn't seen him like that before, but they see the discolored patches of skin. It's all exposed. He's vulnerable. Any illusion of power and strength are gone. And he wades into the Jordan River, humbled. But he's desperate. And that's where God meets him. He dips. And dips again. And dips again. It, it seems silly, but he obeys, <laughs> and he's healed. You know, I can't help but think about baptism when I read the story. God asks us to do something very simple. We don't always understand it. It's humbling. Well, Damon goes back to Elisha's house, and this time Elisha comes out to meet with the general. And Naaman says these words, now I know. Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Listen, this morning, do you know that there is no God except the God in Scripture revealed through the person of Jesus Christ? Do you know that? He meets God. But notice he says, so please accept this gift from your servant. <laughs> He's still wanting to pay for this thing. But Elisha refuses. He says, no, what God offers you, you can't afford. What God offers is always a free gift. All you can do is accept it. All you can do is receive it. Now, I want to just stop right there and, and make this statement. Listen, many of you, Naaman's story is your story. Because if you're a Christian this morning, it means that you recognize your sin in yourself. The leprosy, the disease that will destroy you. But somewhere along the line, you listen to somebody. Maybe it was through a preacher or a parent or a friend, but you heard the gospel and you obeyed God. You did what he asked you to do and he saved you. Now, you don't get to brag about it. You, you didn't pay for it. You didn't earn it. It's not because you were good enough or deserved it. No, none of those things. It was because God is gracious and good and loves you. That's my story. Maybe that's your story too. Can I ask you how desperate are you this morning? You know, perhaps we are even now beginning to come out of our isolation to some degree in the next few weeks. What, uh, what's going to happen then? 
Back to these miners, you remember that these miners were experiencing a revival underground, but a massive operation for rescue was taking place on the surface. Somehow they figured out a way to do the impossible. And before the drill team began their work, they joined hands and they prayed and they asked God for help. They drilled a hole. It was a small hole to begin with, but it allowed the miners to survive so they could send water and they could send food. They could even send news and they, they sent newspapers down there. And the men began to realize something. They're in the newspaper. They're becoming famous. And they started to think, you know what? We're going to get out of here. And the, the desperation started to fade. As, there, as the desperation started to fade, guess what else began to fade away too? Suddenly, not as many men were willing to pray. Worship seemed to diminish. Confessing stopped altogether. The spark of revival began to flicker out. Listen, if in your desperation you came to go, know God in a more intimate way during this season, let me ask you to make that your new normal. You know, you've had more time perhaps. Maybe you've spent more time with God in the scriptures, in prayer. Cling to him. Listen, his greatest desire is not to make your life easy. His greatest desire for you is to know him. Would you pray with me? Father, as we begin to think about moving ahead, coming out of the deep down dark, I realize that there are some perhaps even this morning who feel so isolated, feel hurting. I pray that, Lord, you would become real to them as never before, that, Lord, you will continue to move in their spirits. Oh, God, how we need you. And yet, Lord, I'm also aware as we begin to, to come out of this, we are thankful, Lord, that, that uh, you are moving in our midst. We are thankful, Lord, for the, for, for the fact that the sun is beginning to shine and we can begin to move forward. But, Lord, may it be that we still cry out to you. And may we acknowledge that every good and perfect thing that happens in our life is from your hand. Lord, I pray that we would know you better. We would seek your face with everything that we are. And Lord, help us to realize the grace that you've given us. That Lord, we can't afford it. We don't deserve it. It is a gift. And that the, the, the disease of sin has been conquered because we've given our lives over to Jesus Christ. We rejoice in that news. We rejoice in that truth. Help us, O oh Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.